letter to Hong Kong, which this week comes from legislator Claudia Mo. This program is a personal view program. It's Christmas time again, a religious festival for some, and a holiday and hopefully fun and good cheer for all. So for a few days at least, hopefully we can stop worrying about jobs, politics and the stock market. That way, we can think of the coming year as a new beginning. At the very least, we can begin it by believing it is likely to be better than 2016. Every year is full of surprises, but the one just ending surely has given us more unpleasant ones than most. There was Brexit, which may not seem to matter much beyond the UK and Europe, but suggests the rise of nationalism and the closure of borders, awful for open and trade-dependent Hong Kong. Then there was the election of Donald Trump. That said, many of the same reactionary things as Brexit. Closer to home, liberalism took a further step backwards in China, where the economy is also looking well past its peak years, headed for a grumpy middle age. As for Hong Kong, the success of pro-democracy candidates in the LegCo elections was a clear sign of where Hong Kong hearts lie. But the reality of the year as a whole was that Hong Kongers desire for identity and as much autonomy as the basic law will allow came under continuous pressure. The frequency of overt interference by the liaison office in the domestic affairs of Hong Kong increased significantly. In the past, top local officials had to go to Beijing to receive their instructions, which were often confined to a few major issues. Now the Beijing control is closer, tighter and more brazen. The aftermath of the LegCo elections was another indicator. One does not have to agree with the actions of some of those elected to fear the twisting of the intent of laws and procedures to exclude more from the pro-democracy camp. For many, it was good news this month that C.Y. Leung is not to seek re-election by the 1,200 members of the committee which chooses the chief executive. For sure, C.Y. Leung has proved unpopular for reasons which go beyond his dedication to one country at the expense of two systems. He has lacked the PR skills which politicians usually need. He has largely failed to achieve his original campaign of promises on housing, welfare and inequality issues. But some failings were the result of his inability to break through the bureaucratic inertia and tycoon self-interest which stifle Hong Kong. So who can do better? Beijing has speeded his departure, not because of his policy, but because he had become a liability, unpopular with much of the business elite and even some Beijing loyalists, as well as the wider public. So his departure will be of no benefit unless it leads to a change in anything other than the PR phase of the government. Indeed, any PR gain will be short-lived unless there is evidence of a change of attitude as well as specific policies. Attitude must come first if there is to be any narrowing of the gap between officialdom and the millions, particularly of the young, who want two kinds of change. 
First, they want a stop to all pressures to use Putonghua in place of Cantonese, to use simplified characters in place of traditional ones, to exclude non-Chinese from positions of influence in business and academia, to waste vast sums of public money on politically inspired projects such as the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge and bringing the high-speed rail to the dense heart of Kowloon. Secondly, the young want a government who will use tax and social policies to narrow income and social gaps, while introducing real competition in place of records like the link read monopoly of commercial space in public housing estates. They want a government who will stop crying land shortage and address the root of the problem: the developer land banks and the Hengyi Cook. So, what hope do we have for an improvement once Si Wailong is gone? Speaking frankly, it is not very encouraging. At least so long as、uh, the list of runners declared or not is Wu Kuoqing, John Zhang, Regina Yip, and Carrie Lam. The most evidently likable straight-talking candidate is Wu, a retired judge who seeks a middle ground between government and pro-democracy figures. However, few give him any realistic chance. Indeed, some see him as a diversion of pro-democracy votes. In particular, Wu might spoil the chances of Zhang, the outgoing financial secretary, currently ranks highest in popularity view because of his shaggy appearance, amiable manner, and indication of a slight sympathy for localists. Seven years as financial chief, however, have been a model of unthinking conservatism. He gets the tycoon vote, but his hints of independence of mind may be too much for Beijing. No one doubts Regina Yip's loyalty to one country above two systems. She does have some popular following, but she is also a more divisive figure, well remembered for her effort to push through a law on sedition. Maybe she's too openly ambitious and prone to hasty judgments for Beijing to put its trust in her. Then there is Carrie Lam, the lifelong bureaucrat and faithful follower in the footsteps of Si Wailong. Now cleansed of her family's UK links, she is, unless she proves otherwise, the representative of the status quo. Though given to soothing speeches, neither as chief secretary nor as development secretary has she shown willingness to force change. So the prospects are unexciting, but let's be optimistic. Let us believe that Beijing itself now realizes that its clumsy promotion of one country and sometimes crude nationalism has been at the root of the rise of local anti-Beijing sentiment. Hong Kong people's pride in our traditions, our language, our way of life is not necessarily anti-national. A country as big as China and with 1.3 billion people must surely allow diversity in interests of unity. So that is the message of hope for Christmas and 2017: that Beijing will listen to Hong Kong.